0: I do love that lyric, uh, Brother Jim, that you you brought up too from that that old hymn, How Firm a Foundation. What more can he say than he's already said? And and I take that even as I stand up here. What more can I say than what he's already said? And, And so all I can do and all I really am called to do is to remind you of what he's already said. To remind you of those great and precious promises that you know. And recall them to your mind. Or or perhaps some of you, that there be some that you haven't read before, but to bring them to the forefront. So that you might become familiar with them. And so that perhaps you may be encouraged to read your Bible even more to learn more and more of what he has to say to us. You know, I, but, well, I don't know. I don't know what God has for me. I don't, I don't know all these things. Well, what more can he say than he's already said? If you want to know, here it is. Here it is. Take up the word of God. Pray. Meditate on it. Read it. Commit even some to memory so that you would have it always at your disposal. Even if you don't have a physical Bible or a device with the Bible on it, even at those times you have it in your mind that you can recall those verses that give you encouragement and help you along your way. Romans 8, verses 26 through 31. We're going to begin in 26... Now, uh, just to pick up the two verses that we talked about last time, and then today uh, we're going to focus, begin focusing on verse 28, but I wanted to read today down through 31 so that we can get that grace verse, if God is for us, who can be against us. So Romans 8:26 through 31. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses, For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercessions for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called, according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Let's pray once again. Heavenly Father, we just come before you and just give thanks for your word and ask, Father, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon us that the Spirit might enlighten us all the more of your truths or the truth of, of who you are, the truth of who we are as we stand before you because we know that your word is like a mirror. We look into it and it's looking back at us and it's telling us exactly who we are and how we stand before you. So, Father, let each one know who we are in your presence. And, Father, should there be one who is Yet lost in their sin. They, they have never received Christ. They are, they are not a believer. I pray that, Lord, that you might perform a miracle that only you can do in opening their eyes to see truth and then drawing themself, them to yourself through Christ. Help us, Lord, to be attentive, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 28, probably, one of the greatest promises found in the Word of God, and perhaps one of those verses that many of you have committed to memory. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. And we know. (laughs) Paul is making a statement of certainty for the child of God. This we no. We know. And and from here, from verse twenty eight through the remainder of, of chapter eight, he is going to give us the reasons why we can have this certainty. So what is it that we should know? Well, we should know that all things work together for good to those who love God. Now, let me pause here for a moment so that there is, is, is no misunderstanding who Is it that is causing all things to work together for good? Is it me? Is it you? No. Who is it? God. God. And I like the NASB translation of verse 28, if we could put that up there, because it brings that clarity in the midst of that. Because it reads, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. So it is God who is working all things together for good. Well, Here I need to ask this question. For good for who? For everyone on planet earth? No. No. There's a qualification here. Who is He causing all things to work together for good for who? To those who, you say it, love God. To those who love God. In other words, to believers. This promise is not to unbelievers. This promise is not to everyone on planet earth. It can be if they would just believe and receive Christ. But this is for the children of God, for the believers. Because it's the true born-again believer who knows that it is God who works and acts everywhere. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. It is God who has made everything. It is God who sustains everything. And it is God who controls everything. He is sovereign in all his ways. And then when Paul says all things, I believe Paul literally means all things, and we're not going to talk about every portion of that today, uh, but some of it will, everything, all things, and you may be sitting there going, wait a minute, you mean even the bad things that happen in my life, even those things, yes, all things, so understand this, everybody listen, everybody listen, Paul is not saying that everything is good, That all things are good. He's not saying that. What Paul is saying is that God causes all things to work together for good. You see the difference. He's not saying that all things are good. Because we can have some pretty terrible, awful, bad things happen in our lives. and, And I would imagine most of us have had those times. He's not saying that those times are good. But what he's saying is that God works and causes all those things to work together for good. Because we know as children of God, we're not exempt from trials and tribulations, are we? We're not exempt. But we know that God will take even these things, even the worst things, and work them, turn them, use them for good, for our good, and for His glory. And so may we not only look at our present condition and at our present circumstance of life only, whether it is good or bad. May we always have in mind the upward call of Christ and the ultimate glory that awaits us. Draw encouragement from verses like Second Corinthians four verses sixteen through eighteen. Second Corinthians four sixteen through eighteen. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. Let me pause here for a moment. Paul had been through much in his life and in his work and in his ministry. Stonings, beatings, shipwrecks, imprisonment. To the point where he thought and knew that perhaps he was on the brink of death. His outward man, his physical body, perishing from the abuse that he had suffered. But look at what he says. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man, who's the inward man? He's talking of the spiritual man, those who have the spirit within them. Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day for our light affliction (laughs) and whether you want to believe this or not it's all light affliction it is for our light affliction which is but for a moment let me ask this in the grand scheme of eternity how long is a moment Should we live to be 150 years old and and have some thorn in the flesh, perhaps like Paul, for 100 years, it will be just a moment in this grand scheme of eternity. Life is but a vapor. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us. Wait a minute. My affliction is working for me? Yes. Yes. For our life affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look to things which are seen, we pause again. What is seen? Well, your circumstance of life. The situation that you find yourself. Perhaps The trial the illness, the tragedy, whatever it is that may be in your life and in your sphere, that thing, while we do not look at the things which are seen, though they are there, what's what's Paul calling us to do? But at the things which are not seen, what are those things? The spiritual things, the heavenly things. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but it's the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things that are not seen are what? Say it. Eternal. Eternal. But let's go now to Philippians 1. Uh, we talked of Paul's imprisonment. Many of his letters were written while he was in prison. This is one of those. He was chained to a Roman guard at most times. And this is what he wrote. Chained in prison not knowing if the next time that that cell door would open, if the guard would be coming and taking him to his execution. Understand that. He was on the brink of death so many times. And this is what he wrote. Uh, verses 19 through 21. Philippians 1, 19 through 21. This is Paul. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation and hope, according to my earnest expectation and hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. See, Paul knew that this was going to work out. One way or another, it was going to work out. Whether by life or by death, he's going to be delivered. Do you understand that? Whichever way God deemed best. That's the attitude that Paul had. Oh, for, for me to live would be to be here with you and to continue my ministry and to lift up the name of Jesus. All oh, but for, for me to die, for me, great gain, to be in the presence of the Lord. So Paul had that confidence in knowing either way, I'm going to be delivered. I'll be delivered. So may we as children of God, have the faith and the confidence to say, regardless of the situation that we are in, that God will work it together for our good and for His glory. I'm going to be repeating this statement probably over and over and over again. If we can just grasp onto this reality, this certainty, this promise from God that we know, say, consider how much peace comfort and consolation that we can have in times of trial, tribulation, sickness, tragedy, whatever it may be, if we go back to what we know. When the things of this present world seems to be going in a downward death spiral and it seems that way, doesn't it? When things seem to be growing worse and worse and seems to be when wickedness and evil seem to have the upper hand in our government, in our schools, many times in our daily life in general as we're out and about, in the midst of the world, what peace that we can have in knowing that God will work all things together for our good and His glory. You get a grasp of what we're saying. Be well, is is World War Three coming? Is, what is is the stock market going to crash? Is, is is everything just going to go away? If, if, am I going to have my retirement? Am I going to? God will work all things together for good. Do we need to worry about those things? No, no, we don't. Oh yes, pray, pray. But what peace we can have in knowing that God is in control. Amen? We can have peace. Lean not on your own understanding, but trust Him and acknowledge Him. Knowing that God will work all things together for our good and His glory. And really, Paul is is this repeating what he's already told us in Romans chapter 5. Let's go to Romans 5, the first five verses. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. See, we can rejoice in hope. We have a hope. We have a future hope, verse 3. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulation, knowing Paul has given us many things so far in Romans up to this point of those things that as children of God we should know. And here's one. We also glory in tribulation... How, how can we do that? Because we know. We know that tribulation produces perseverance. And perseverance character and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So we can say then that all things work together for our good Good things, bad things, trials, tribulations, illnesses, accidents, disappointments, and failures. God can make all and does make all work ultimately for our good. Do we get that? Are we getting it? Can we hold on to it? When we walk out of this sanctuary, can we hold on to what we know? What a glorious thought! All things... The preacher, how can that be? How can my trials, my sickness, my, my weaknesses, all these things that are coming at me and bring me down be for my good? How can he work them for good? Well, here's one answer. Okay, now listen. Listen. These things tend to awaken us. These things tend to make us pray. These things tend to make us turn to God and His Word. And that's a good thing. You understand what I'm saying? When we're in the midst of that trial, man, everything else kind of fades to the background and we're focused on what we're facing and we realize we need help. And for the child of God, where does our help come from? It comes from the Lord. So these things awaken us and cause us to look to Him. And that's a good thing. Today I have a couple Martin Lloyd-Jones quotes, and here's one as he talks about this very thing. Lloyd-Jones quote, A most dangerous condition for all of us is that in which everything seems to be going well without much change, without much incident. Many a man has found in his business, that in the days when he was struggling and battling against problems and difficulties and having to pay constant attention to the business, all went well. But when he reached a second stage, when everything seemed to be running smoothly and automatically, it turned out to be a condition fraught with danger. He became slack and negligent, and soon things began to go wrong. He was not aware that anything was happening because he was not showing the same keenness as in the first stage. It is exactly the same in the Christian life. That state in which everything just comes and goes and the wheels of life are just turning smoothly is generally a very dangerous state for the soul to be in. And you may think, but wait a minute! That's where I want to be. That's where I want to be. Do you understand where he's going? And when everything, when the sun's shining down on me and the world's all as it should be, it is generally a very dangerous state for the soul to be in. It is the very, it is this very time when our enemy, our adversary, the devil, takes advantage of us. So when something goes wrong, when a trial or tribulation comes to us, it has the effect of pulling us up and startling us and awakening us. The worst state to be in is a state in which we do not think, but merely take things for granted and go on with the routine of life. Now listen to this. It is good to have the routine of life upset occasionally, no matter what the actual cause of the interruption may be you agree with that? It is good to have the routine of life upset occasionally, no matter what the actual cause of the interruption may be. Trial, tribulation, illness, whatever it may be. End quote. See, anything that causes us to turn to God is good for us. Can we say amen to that? Anything that would cause us to turn to God is good for us that these trials and tribulations might awaken us to prayer, might awaken us to seeking after God and His Word, to seek His great and precious promises to those who believe. Well, l- let me read some more from Jones, and, and I hope I hope you can stay alert when I'm reading passages or quotes such as this. Here, here's Jones again, quote, but further note that Paul says, we know that all things work together for good. Whereas in verse 26, he had been saying, we know not what we should pray for as we ought. And we looked at that a couple of weeks ago. Jones says, how can these two statements be reconciled? The answer reminds us of one of the paradoxical truths about the Christian. The Christian is a man who can be certain about the ultimate even when he is most uncertain about the immediate. And let me read it again. He's a man who can be certain about the ultimate even when he is most uncertain about the immediate. As a child of God, we can be certain about the ultimate. And what's that talking about? Our ultimate glorification. Our ultimate Being with Christ, uh, uh, of being with Him, that's the ultimate. We can be certain about that because the Bible tells us we can. What can separate us from His hand? What can pluck us out of His hand? Nothing. We can be certain about that even when we are most uncertain about the immediate, that which immediately is before us, trial, tribulation, sickness, illness, tragedy, accident, whatever it may be. We may be uncertain about it. Lord, I don't know how this is going to turn out. Lord, I don't even know how I should pray in the midst of this. But, as we learned a couple weeks ago, even when we don't know how to pray, we have an advocate, the Holy Spirit that is in us, who will pray perfectly the will of God. Because He knows the will of God. Because He is a part of the triune God. And so we look to Him. We trust Him even when we don't know how to pray. He will pray for us and we can be certain about the ultimate even when we are most uncertain about the immediate. Let me go on with Lord jones quote. That is the real secret of the statement. And I would add the final comfort and consolation of the Christian. The Christian does not know everything but he does know one thing. Look at him in trouble and everything apparently going against him. And he is so perplexed that he doesn't know what to do, what to pray for as he ought. All he can do is turn to the Holy Spirit who can pray perfectly the will of God for us. Though he is confused and does not understand, yet even at that very point he can say, I do not know which way to turn or to go. I do not understand why these things are happening. I do not know exactly what to ask for at this moment, but I know this. That in spite of my ignorance and in spite of everything that is happening to me, this and everything else is working together for my good. Though I cannot understand a particular trial or tribulation, though I, though I may not know its end, I am certain of the ultimate outcome, my good and God's glory. I do not understand the mind of God fully, but I do know the purpose of God with respect to me and that it cannot fail. That's a good statement right there. I I do not understand the mind of God fully, but I know the purpose of God with respect to me and that it cannot fail. That is the final comfort and consolation of the Christian, end quote. There's, there's some good stuff in there. God will work all things together for good. This we know. Now, yeah, I'm going to put this out there, because if we know, and if we trust and believe what we know, then no worries, no anxiety. No depression, but rather the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Is that true? And he will keep, and you, God, will keep him, me, in perfect peace whose eyes are fixed on you. Promise of God. But, 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 preacher, I, I tend to worry. Why? Why? Who's in control? He has said that He is going to work everything for your good. Why would you worry? Why would you be depressed? Well, you you don't know what I'm going through. God does. And He's given you a promise that He's going to work it for your good. Is it sinking in? I hope it is. This is a wonderful promise that can give us peace and rest for our souls if we would hold on to it. Let's remind ourselves of a few other passages of Scripture. Matthew 6, verses 25 through 34. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body. Now this is Jesus talking. If you don't want to listen to the Apostle Paul, would you listen to Jesus? Would you trust what he says? If not, you don't know him. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on it. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. For they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Yes, we are. Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spend. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Or your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. He knows. Verse 33, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. He will not leave you forsaken. He won't. He won't. All these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow... For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I've had many times in my life when I worried about tomorrow, about the future. Did it do me one ounce of good to worry about the future? No. Now, Understand this, I'm I'm not saying don't plan for the future. I'm not saying that. Yes, we make our plans. As long as they're not out of accord with the truths and the things that are found in the Word of God, we make our plans and that we trust God. Perhaps He will, (laughs) at a moment's notice, change our plans. And that's okay. We trust Him. We trust Him. Don't worry. Let, let's stay in Matthew. Let's go down to chapter 10. Chapter 10. Verse 28 through 31. Matthew ten twenty-eight through 31. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your Father's will. (laughs) Think about that. Is God in control of all things? Yes, He is. And not one of them, not one sparrow, falls to the ground apart from your Father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. That that lyric, we sing that lyric. I, I love that. Day by day and with each passing moment, strength I find to meet my trials here. Trusting in my Father's wise bestowment, I've no cause for worry or for fear. Amen to that lyric? Yes. Because that's based on the truth of God's Word. Will God take care of us? Yes. Yes. Through whatever trial or tribulation, He will work it for our good. Now, let's look at Joseph. Let's look at Joseph. We're not going to go there and read, but it's in Genesis. And you read about Joseph. You know the story of Joseph. Probably a lot of the younger ones in here know the story of Joseph. His brothers hated him. Why did they hate him? But Because he had this dream that someday he would reign over them. <laughs> he told them all about it, and they didn't like it. That's so what they do? They took him out. Threw him in a pit, didn't they? What they do with that coat, that, that, that precious coat that Dad had given him, the coat of many colors, what they do with it? They, they got an animal and they put blood all over it. They took it back, gave it to his father and said, an animal. A wild animal came out and, and killed your son Joseph. Then Joseph was sold into slavery. He seems to prosper in Potiphar's house until an encounter with Potiphar's wife, right? She accuses him of, I'll just put it this way, inappropriate behavior. He's put in prison. Things seem to go well for a time because the jailer trusts him. And then he comes to meet the Pharaoh's butler and he has some hope that Hey, the, the butler is going to put in a good word, get me out of here, but what happens? The butler forgets about him, doesn't he? Spends another couple years in prison. Finally, after 17 years, somewhere around 17 years, think about that, 17 years from being thrown in a pit, sold into slavery, in a prison, Nothing working together for any lasting good for Joseph. But then something happens. Pharaoh has a dream, doesn't he? Who interprets it? Joseph. Joseph. And then Pharaoh exalts Joseph into a position. I forget, the. is it like a governor or something? I forget if there was a title to it. But to a position where he was over the storehouse famine's coming seven years of famine coming and joseph makes preparation gathers everything into the storehouse what happens to the brothers and everybody back home they run out of food they're needing help and so they come to egypt they're looking for help they don't know joseph's there they don't know that joseph's been charged been put in charge of everything they come for help they come to be saved God worked all of Joseph's trials together for good to save Jacob and the family. You see that? He worked it all for good. And, and, and the point of this story is given in three texts that, that we will look at these. Because when the brothers came and when they finally recognized him, Joseph told him a few things, and here's one Genesis forty five verse seven. Genesis forty five verse seven. And God sent me. And 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 don't lose what that's saying. God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. God sent. God allowed all of these things to happen in Joseph's life. They were part of God's plan and purposes for Joseph. God sent Joseph. And we see it again. Look in Psalms 105 verses 16 and 17. Psalms 105, 16 and 17. Moreover, He, God, called for a famine in the land. He, God, destroyed all the provision of bread. He, God, sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. Who is... Who's in charge? God. God. From beginning to end, God is sovereign. Nothing happens apart from His sovereign, permissive will. God allows these things to happen. Is He always the cause? Not necessarily was was God the cause of all the tragedy and the things that, that came upon Job? No, God didn't do those things. Who did? The devil, Satan. But God allowed it for His plan and His purposes. So, so do you see? Moreover, He called for a famine in the land. He destroyed all the provision of the bread. He sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. Genesis 50, verse 20. And here again, Joseph talking to his brothers. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Why? In order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Does that sound a little bit like an Old Testament version of Romans eight twenty eight? Think it does. Got a quote from John Piper. All things work together for good for God's people, all things, including all the evil done to Joseph and to Jacob his father. These are things that God meant to work together for good. God did not just watch evil events unfold with no design and no purpose and then bring good out of them. Now, I'm going to read that again. Now listen. God did not just watch evil events unfold with no design and no purpose and then bring good out of them. No, just as Joseph's brothers meant it, purposed it, designed it for evil, so God also meant it, purposed it, designed it for good. God does not just bring good out of all things. He ordains what happens to us for our good and then infallibly brings good from it according to His purpose. God sent Joseph to save his brothers. End quote. I thought he put that very well. How about another Old Testament example? How about Esther? Here we have a a young, beautiful Jewish girl that's forced into a harem of an unclean, pagan, Gentile king. Tragic. When you look at it on the surface, tragic. Why did it happen? Why would God allow it? And Mordecai will give an answer, because the the Jews were about to be slaughtered by Haman's wicked designs. God has done for His people through Esther exactly what he did for his people through Joseph. Now, let's think about that for a minute. God has done for his people through Esther exactly what he did for his people through Joseph. What did Mordecai's message what was Mordecai's message to Esther? Many of you know this, at least you know the last uh, five six words of it. Where he said, "Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time?" as this for such a time as this who knows (laughs) god knows god knows and now we know because we know the end of the story you see she came to the kingdom through all her humiliation and defilement to save god's people for such a time as this god works all things together for good for his people you see the example Joseph, Esther, how about Jonah? How about Jonah? Jonah disobeyed God. He tried to run, got on a ship. What happened? Some of the kids know. What happened? A great storm came up, didn't it? And they're going, man, somebody on this ship has made God mad. And they were right. Well, I don't know if I want to say make God mad, but displeased God. How about I say it that way? And finally, Jonah comes forth and says, It's me. It's me. I'm the one being disobedient to God and what they do with Jonah. Threw him overboard. What happened to Jonah when he's in the water? Got ate by big fish. A whale, perhaps. The big fish. Is that a good thing? Is that a good thing to be in the water and you get eaten by a fish? No, that's, that's a terrible thing. But God worked it together for good. God had a plan. God had a purpose. See, that this horrible experience of being swallowed by fish was in fact God's appointed means of salvation for the unbelieving Ninevites. God worked it for good. I'm just going to go ahead and add it because some of you are thinking, was Jonah happy about it? No. No, he wasn't happy about it. He sulked and pouted and did all manner of things. But God had a plan and a purpose. And God worked it all together, ultimately for good. We, we talked about this in not Old Testament, but we talked about this a few weeks ago. We talked about Paul's thorn in the flesh. Remember that was from a sermon two or three weeks ago. And, and this thorn tormented Paul and he pleaded with God to take it away but the answer came we know the answer second corinthians 12:9 and he said to me my grace is sufficient for you for my strength is made perfect in weakness therefore most gladly will I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me God had a purpose for Paul's thorn in the flesh Whatever trial, whatever sickness, whatever tragedy that you may be going through, have you ever stopped to consider that God has a plan and a purpose for what you're going through? And then trust what we know, that He will work all things together for good. All things even thorns in the flesh, even being thrown into the sea and swallowed by a fish, even being sold into slavery and in a multitude of terrible things for 17 years, even being taken as a young girl and thrown into a Gentile king's harem. God will work it for good to those who love Him. So what do we know? When you walk out these doors today, you go to the gas station to get gas, somebody comes up to you, oh, you've been to church today? Yeah, well, what did the preacher preach on? What are you going to say? What have you learned today? What do you know? And I hope you can say, I know this. That regardless of what happens in my life, good, bad, indifferent, whatever it may be, God is going to work all things together for my good. That He may receive glory. And I hope we can hold on to that. That truth that we can know. That we can know. And that should give us hope. That should give us hope. As a child of God, we can be certain about the ultimate. Our final glorification. We can be certain about it if we are born again. Even when we are most uncertain about the immediate. That thing, that trial, whatever it is that we may be going through. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks for Your Word. And I pray that just by the power of Your Holy Spirit and the truth of Your Word, You have broken through many hearts today that we have learned more of you, more of your great love, more of how we should act and respond in the midst of troubles, trials, tribulations, persecutions, sicknesses, whatever it may be. Father, help the children of God to know that we are in your hand and what better place to be and that you will work everything together for good in your timing and in your way. So, Father, give us patience. Help us to have patience. Help me to have patience. Even if dealing with something for 17 years, even with dealing with something that will last the rest of my life here on planet Earth, Lord, help me, help us all to trust you and find peace and rest in knowing that You have our best in mind. And Father, should there be one who is listening to this sermon who is yet lost, they're an unbeliever, that they cannot yet fathom or know this great promise that You have given until You, by grace and mercy, Open their eyes to see truth. Open their eyes that they may see you, Father, as most holy, high, righteous, and just. And a sinner that gets a true glimpse of you, Father, really has no other recourse than to tremble before you because at that moment they know they're a sinner before you and they know what their end will be. And Father, in that time when You have caused their heart to fear, oh, relieve their fear by showing them the rescue that is found in Jesus Christ. Show them that there is forgiveness through the cross of Christ, His blood that was shed as the sacrifice for sin for all who believe. And Father, grant them faith that they might believe. Grant them repentance as they would cry out confessing sin to You. Or draw them to Yourself and make them Your very own. And help them, Father, to live for You the remainder of their days. Father, help us all to trust You as we should. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.